Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. All right, welcome back to the second installment of the Thundercast this week. Well, Russ, I guess it's it's just let's just get right back into it. We've got a lot of news that has happened around the football program. We're going to cover as much of that as we can. We won't have everything because it's just it's just hard to keep track of everything. There's a lot of moving parts right now, but we got the big parts, I think. And we're going to take it around the herd. So before we get into what's been going on around herd football, let's get another word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. Matt and Jason are experienced injury lawyers in Huntington who have helped many people just like you with claims throughout West Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky. Car wrecks, truck wrecks, and injury claims aren't just something they do, it's what they do. Find them at 304carwreck.com. All right, so we know that the Myrtle Beach Bowl ended. Marshall's football season is officially over. We finished the season at 9-4 and four and on a real upward trajectory heading into what we feel like can be a very, very, very good 2023 season. And if, if Marshall's able to do something really special, if you can look ahead and look at that schedule for 2023... Uh, if if they can if they can make some real noise, we can't put the cart in front of the horse. But just mm. speculating, if they can rack up a bunch of them in the left hand column, they can garner some huge national attention. So yeah, there's been a lot of news that's going on around the program. Of course, the transfer portal is the early signing period has come and gone, and now we are in this interim period uh, between signing days, so mm-hmm. to speak. Guys are free to commit transfer in and out, all that good stuff. Uh, But really the next probably splashy type day that you will see on the calendar will be in early February when the next signing day comes. Mm -hmm. But there's been a lot of action. Uh, I said if Marshall was able to keep the transfers out at a minimum, they could really have a special season. And I think we've seen quite a bit of that by my count now. And of course, like this is not perfect, but we've seen one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys say that they are transferring out. In addition to all of the guys that have said, I'm declaring for the draft. None mm-hmm. of those are really surprising. They're all seniors and guys that have exhausted eligibility anyway. So there was nothing super surprising there. There are a fair amount of holes to fill. There's some positions that are going to need bolstered, some that can afford to just be reloaded that Mm -hmm. are already going to return deep. Mm -hmm. So let's start. I was going to do this at the end, but I think it's the single biggest piece of news so far out of all this. And that's the return of linebacker Eli Neal, undoubtedly going to be a huge piece in Mm -hmm. 2023. And that's one, you know, we talked about last year, uh, guys walked to senior day and then returned. Stephen Gilmore did that. We speculated with some of the names that we saw walk in senior day this year. 
Does that mean they're done? Does that mean they're transferring? Does that mean they're going pro? Or are they going to return? And so far, the guys that didn't exhaust eligibility that have said they are uh, returning, it's Eli Neal. Nobody said they're leaving that, that we hadn't expected yet, which is also a good thing. <laughs> As days trickle on, I feel better and better about that. We we had a separate conversation off the air talking about that and, and what we may or may not hear from certain folks and this and that and the other. But for now, the biggest news to me is Eli Neal. Thoughts on Eli Neal just coming out and saying, hey, run it back. We got something going here, and I want to be a part of it. I want to bring a championship back to Huntington for the first time in nearly a decade. Yeah, I think it's huge. Um, <clears throat> going into this year, and I want you to correct me on all these. Uh, you like to say that my memory's flawless, but I'm 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 sitting here. I'm doubting myself. Yeah, was he the returning uh, leading tackler? No. Abraham Boplan led uh, Conference USA. And then and, Neil was behind him. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Number two leading tackler on the team last year. All right. But uh, led this year. But led, led this year. Led this year. But I was thinking he'd, he'd led two in a row. And then am I thinking incorrectly that he entered the transfer portal last year, but then withdrew and returned to Marshall? Also incorrect. That okay. is, that was Charlie Gray, <laughs> I believe. All that. right. So I'm over two. This is the only time <laughs> that I'm ever going to get anything wrong. On this show. <laughs> all right. Having said all that and gotten the air cleared on where we're at, we're returning a top two tackler from the last two years. Yes. Um, from that linebacker, from that uh, position, that uh, vaunted defense that we had uh, going to need as many uh, with all the the leaders that are leaving uh, as far as been here and exhausted their eligibility and going pro and, and things like that. We're going to need that leadership on the field. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, generally that comes from a linebacker position more often than not. That's your quarterback on the defensive side of the ball is a linebacker. It, it just seems to play out that way. It's not always that way, but it often is. Um, has a nose for the ball. Uh, has the ability several different times we've called him out as being the player of the week uh, for being all over the field, being in the backfield all day long. Uh, maybe he didn't get the three and a half sacks that somebody else got, but he had 12 tackles and, you know, six of them were solo and they all seemed to be uh, at opportune times when we needed them. And I'm thrilled that we have that back because that's something that you can reload like you're talking in some of these other positions because you can build around that nucleus that he already has here. Yeah, without deep diving into the roster, because we know it's going to churn sure. in, in both directions between now and the week one game, right? So it's 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 it makes no sense to start roster deep diving right now. But you look at what, you know, on the, on the surface is what's happening there, right? Uh, Tyreek Bell was, uh, I believe, has exhausted eligibility. Maybe not. He may be coming back. Jace Bobo was a, was a JUCO guy that – uh, one year, one year guy. Abraham Boplan is now exhausted eligibility, so that linebacker room starts to get pretty thin. So, it 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 makes the announcement by Eli all that more important. And the fact that it was done early, like mm -hmm. fairly early, is like that speaks to me. And it says, "Hey, um, I want to be here." You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not. I don't. I'm not interested in going anywhere else. I want to stay right here. 
I want to play for the Marshall Thundering Herd. I want to finish my career here where it started. I want to finish uh, what I've started as from a wins and losses type standpoint, a championship type standpoint. And I want to play for Shannon Morrison because he's he's got this unit performing at a high level, as do most, if not all, of those coaches on the defensive side of the ball. So the single biggest storyline currently and probably will be a big storyline for the herd as we talk about getting into spring ball and we talk about that kind of stuff. And then we start roster breakdowns. This is huge. And I'm really glad that Eli's coming back. He's been a fan favorite for a number of, since he's been on campus, really. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't think of the first time he popped on the radar for me, but I do remember like a uh, very, very, I can't remember the team we were playing, but I remember a very, very athletic, acrobatic interception that he made as like a young freshman or maybe sophomore. And I thought, man, look at this guy. Look at this guy here making, and all he's does, uh, and all he's done is continue to get better and better and better yeah, he, and better. He makes plays. Makes plays. That's exactly right. And that's exactly what you want. It's exactly what we're going to need. So let's talk about some of these guys that have declared for the draft. They've made the okay. official announcement. It's not surprising. I'll, 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 I want to give each one of these guys a little bit of do. Give them, give them yeah. their moment, and and you you know the comment. Give them a little shine or whatever you want to do. Offensive lineman uh, Cedric Palin, one year guy, come over from Rutgers, turned into be one of the top offensive linemen in his position in the country, and was a real cornerstone for the herd line, of course, officially declaring for the draft. Um, I loved what he brought here. Uh, and I, th- I think in these days, and we had several of these uh, that came here for one year, and we had several that came here that have only been here a year and now we'll have more eligibility left. But he was one of those guys that came over. Uh, he was uh, given accolades after the season uh, by several different places for all Sunbelt, all this, that sort of thing. Um, but you need that solidification to bring in. And he brought in some experience and he brought in some size. And it seemed like maybe later in the year, that offensive line gelled with him a lot more than earlier in the year when we had some issues. And it seems like when we started, when we broke camp, he was not a starting guard. Is that right? I can't, I can't recall, man. That was so I, long I, ago. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking that he came in uh, and started a little bit later on that he played heavily in every game, mm-hmm. but that he actually, when they, had to move some people around a little bit. Trent Holler moved from one side to the other a couple of different times and everything. I think uh, Palin, you know, was on the other side when they did that. And it just seemed like they got their groove, especially when we were talking about three sacks in four games or whatever it was that, that stretch that they hit. Um, they just seemed to gel and he was a big part of that. Yeah, and, he, he was. And when we talked about, you know, people bring up, the deficiencies from the offensive line. We talked all year, Hey, we had 2,300 rushing yards. What are we Mm -hmm. talking about? You know, we had a great offensive line. We had an issue at times with uh, giving up sacks or having penalties, but we did not have a poor offensive line. You know, Mm -hmm. we had some areas of concern that they worked on and got much better on throughout the year, but, I asked, asked Laburn, you know, what these guys meant 
you know, to right. him. I, I guarantee you he'd give the perspective that these big guys helped him get all of those yards. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. I would also uh, like to say, unless you are just in the rarefied air of having your offensive line return mm-hmm. in full, mm-hmm. you're always trying to find the right yeah. five at the yeah. right position. Sure. Until you get that, it it looks it just looks like a work in progress because you you kind of are. Case in point, when uh, Trent Holler came over from ECU, he was listed as a center. And if you remember when we were going over that in the preseason, we were talking about you know where he may play. He ended up playing at guard, left guard and right guard, mm-hmm. and everything. And that put uh, uh, Logan Osborne as the center. And it just happened to be that that worked out better mm-hmm. uh, because we had some of that versatility and we had several different players that could move around. And you're right. Where do you play him? That the team makes the best makeup, you know, yeah. and it takes a little time to gel. It does you know, more, we were... more than any other, more than any other position group offensive line for me. That's the one that it takes a lot of, a lot longer to gel. It has to be the most cohesive for everything mm-hmm. else to kind of work. And, and, you know, we've talked about that. Most fans, I would think that are knowledgeable of the game, see that and understand that this just shows the importance of guys like Palant that come here and they're here for a year and they have one opportunity, one season to get their careers on the trajectory they want them to go. And when your offensive line unit is trying to figure it out on the fly, it just makes things tougher. And, and, and they did, they, they ultimately figured it out. Palant had a great season and we wish him nothing but the best in draft preparation. Uh, you know, it's, he's just one of a, of a handful of guys that were one year guys that capitalized on that opportunity and put themselves in a position to either potentially be drafted or, or be a camp invite guy and have an opportunity. Also along the offensive line, uh, Kendrick Sartor. Uh, announced he's going to go to the NFL, and we said preseason. I do remember this that he you would like <laughs> to think it. He is the best offensive lineman returning because mm-hmm. he was one of like two or three that were returning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was like a six year guy. You know, he's been mm-hmm. here for a long time, and it was a high performer for a, a number of years. Quiet guy wasn't you know wasn't just did just went to work and did his job. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by quiet guy. Just put your head down, go to work. You know, you you he, he just did what he was supposed to do anchor on the offensive line for a number of years a definite definite loss from that unit um what do you got for what do you got to say to mr sartor as we bid him fond farewell on his herd career well i think that as important as we've talked about people coming in here to help solidify that he was the one that we just talked about like eli neal that returned Mm -hmm. uh you know you never want to replace the entire position group and uh you know he was there he added that consistency if nothing else uh maybe help set the tone for you know hey here's how it is here maybe help these guys transition to uh being an offensive lineman at marshall you know uh the you know already being that you see a lot of offensive linemen that have a very good mind, the same as catchers in baseball that can go on and become really good uh, coordinators or really good coaches and everything because they have to know everything about it. So I kind of think that having a veteran there for these other guys, even if they're veterans, they're not veterans of this team that 
he kind of fills that role as being maybe big brother or something like that that can help the the existing coaches, you know, transition these guys that are coming in, the new recruits, the new transfers. Yeah, it's it's the term I guess you could use is he's the elder statesman, right? Mm-hmm. He was the guy that had been in the strength program for a number of years across a couple of different strength coaches, across a couple of different head coaches and position coaches, and still just steadily performed steadily got better, always did his job. Uh, he has a real opportunity to, to, to stick with the right team because he's, he's just fundament, fundamentally sound and just does his job. Uh, also declaring for the draft defensive lineman Damian Barber, who made the big pick six in the bowl game. Uh, we've the famously been talking about this defensive line being, as Huff said, they wanted to be violent and disruptive. And they were most certainly that, and also at times really exciting and really capping off the season with that big play, Damian Barber on the pick six, doesn't get much more exciting than the big man pick six touchdown in a bowl game. Great way to cap off the career there for Mr. Barber. Um, What do you got for Damian? Well, he he brought in some much-needed depth to that defensive line you know we talked many times about that bowl game against louisiana and we just didn't have players you know Mm -hmm. they were uh inactive and coach said hey let's get some guys in here and he brought in you know several he brought in gibson he brought in watts he brought in barber and uh these guys all just came here definitely violent definitely disruptive uh we had that that size the we didn't have under the previous coaches, you know, we talked about that before they would take the defensive end, move them into the interior line, take an outside linebacker, move them up to the defensive end, take your outside linebackers and move them out or your safeties and make them linebackers. So we were kind of always uh, uh, a little undersized and man, Barber brought some size and he brought a motor and he, he brought uh, a lot of strength and it really helped solidify what was already a good defense, but a good run-stopping defense because we had that we're not going to be pushed around on the offensive line or by the offensive line. You know, the line of scrimmage is going to be owned by us, and it just worked out that way, and he was a big part of that with those other guys that came in. Yeah, it that 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 unit, I think more than any other, saw the biggest revamp. You know, that defensive line was upgraded – on top of what was there with with Owen Porter and and Cumberlander, Taquez Legs was returning, but those three pieces that you mentioned in particular, there were other guys who were there. Emmanuel, sure, Bush, sure, who, who entered the portal, and you know, uh, Austin and and guys like that that played with their hand in the ground from time to time. Those three guys that you mentioned <clears throat> just elevated that unit more so, I think, than any other unit that we hit the portal hard after or recruited through the high school ranks at after. Um, the, there was a marked um, focus on the defensive line. And I, and I think you're right as rain. When you talk, you, we, he said, Coach Huff says we got off the bus with six defensive linemen to play in that bowl game. Yeah, they were banged up quite a bit, but it also spoke to the fact that we needed just added depth, period there and he mentioned a couple of times that this roster when he took it over from uh doc holiday was built to compete in conference usa and now mm-hmm. it had to be built to compete in the sunbelt 
It's a different makeup, slightly. Yep. You know, you still get the same amount of players and you're going to have roughly the same amount of scholarship allocations, but you do have to do things a little bit differently. And that was the focus in this offseason was to build this roster to play Sunbelt teams. And boy, did they build this defense to compete at a high level. Damian well, Barber is a big part of that. Think too, I mean, this is a little slightly off topic because he's not someone declaring for the draft uh, that I'm aware of, but we had the transfer coming from Miami on the mm -hmm. defensive line and due to injury, he, he was out all year mm -hmm. and, and he was expected to make a huge impact. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what this scary defense would have looked like with him there. Williams, I cannot remember the first name right now. Uh, and I don't want to try to look it up and drag the show down, but, um, <laughs> <clears throat> that defensive line needed size and Barber was one of them that brought it and just uh, energy. You could tell from him as well. I mean, you know, legs had energy. Kobe, uh, Kobe Cumberlander had energy. Owen Porter had energy. I think all those guys that came in fed off of what was already here. And they added that same level of energy with Barber and with Watts and with Gibson and, all the all that different you know them coming in they just said hey we are going to wreck stuff and let's do it and i mean that's that that's putting it so like lightly they did they did way more than wreck shop it was it so these this guy bar and i think i'm sure watts is 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 going to be making a run and um but I didn't see an announcement from this, so I'm just sure. speculating, you know. But these are guys that we saw um, make a social media post that I that I at least saw. Um, Isaiah Norman, one year impact guy. Uh, another, um, I'm drawing a blank. It's not McNeese. Austin P. Uh, yeah. Another Austin P. guy. We've had some success with him. I believe Taquez Legs came from Austin P. He, he came from Austin P. There's a guy that we're going to talk about in a little bit. That's uh, a transfer. I believe, or maybe this that, that's um did he commit? Let me look. I don't know. Either committed or we've got an offer out. So it's another one of those pipelines that we've been hitting along with McNeese finding real playmakers. But Isaiah Norman is a guy that came in and you know, if you remember back to our our uh spring ball breakdowns and, and position group breakdowns, safety particularly was a was an area of concern because we lost Brandon Drayton and um, Nazi Johnson, two high, high performing guys. Hell, Nazi Johnson's in the NFL right now playing for the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. So we looked at that position and we thought, okay, we got two transfers. We have no idea what we've got here. No idea. And it turns out we had two diamonds, right? Isaiah Norman, mm -hmm. great, great player, capitalized in his time with the herd, multiple impact plates, a fumble recovery in the bowl game. And of course, Andre Sam as well. And I don't really know if Andre, I think he's got another year if he wants it. I don't know if he's made any type of announcement or anything like that. So um, I haven't seen, but uh, sure would be cool if he does have another year that he comes back. But let's talk about, let's talk about Isaiah Norman and what he meant to this team this year. And um, now that he's declared for the NFL draft. Well, I mean, he was another one of those guys who was just all over the field and, when he got injured with that arm injury, um, it seemed like the defense itself got injured with him being out. Now, we had guys that stepped in. We had uh, Dathio and Smith came back right around that same time. Uh, luckily, 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, at the same position. So that helped out. But uh, Norman just seemed like he was the the guy that was part of that glue. I mean, the defense was stellar at every position, you know, make no bones about it. They were, but when you're getting, you know, cornerbacks get more opportunities for interceptions on a, on a week to week basis, I would argue versus safeties. So, you know, Gilmore and Abraham with the interceptions that they had and, you know, uh, pick sixes and stuff like that, that's going to be a little sexier or whatever, Mm -hmm. but the safeties have a lot more tackles and they have a lot more um, um, pass breakups or they're the guys that are coming in more often on a blitz than a cornerback, that sort of thing. So what Norman brought to that, and he brought some size to our our defensive backfield, um, he's going to be missed. He he had a nonstop motor. It seemed like we could say that about 15 different guys. About all the defense. guys, yeah. yeah. But uh, he, he definitely had that nonstop motor. So it, here's the thing. I, I'm not going to say that safeties are asked to do more than corners, but it's what they are asked to do is different, right? Because they are – you're right. They are. They, we do see corner blitzes, and, and we, we've had corners in the past that play close to the line of scrimmage and, and are effective in the run game too. But it seems like Marshall's style of play lends itself to those safeties being those guys more so mm-hmm. than those corners. And and if yep. you have the luxury of a Stephen Gilmore on one side and a Micah Abraham on the other side, who are essentially, you know, first team corners for anybody in the league, yeah. right? Then you have the flexibility to do a lot more with your safeties. And man, we could see what these guys could do. And the tandem of Andre Sam and Isaiah Norman on the same field at the same time could just wreak havoc on most offenses in this co- in this conference. So he was a, th- go ahead. I was going to say so he's a guy that brings versatility. You talked about the motor, the size. I mean, you start to check all these boxes, right? Everything. Bam, he's got the size, he's got the IQ, he's got the uh ability, he's got everything we want in a hard-hitting safety that can also cover well. Mm-hmm. Uh it's going to be a it's second year in a row, it's going to be a huge hole to fill at least at one safety spot. If Andre Sam decides to execute another year of eligibility, if he has one, I'm pretty sure we saw that. And he does decide to come back, great. That, that'd be a great weapon I'd love to keep on the defense. If not, we're looking to fill two huge holes at safety again. Mm-hmm. I always uh, go back to the term that I heard a long time ago, decades ago, that safeties are center fielders. Yep. And that they're the guys that uh, – you know, or playing more, even if they're in man coverage, you know, a, a deep ball and everything, they're they're tracking. You and I both played center field. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You have to be able to turn on your routes and that sort of thing and go to that. And uh, I think that Sam and Norman both being around the ball as much as they did just showed how well they were at being able to do that. They yeah. may have been on the other side of the field, but they were able to – run to the other side, you know, when the play was going that way uh, and to be able to recognize that. And I, um, I'm going to miss that. You know, we've got, we've got a defense here that was definitely an all-time unit. Don't know, oh, yeah. if, it, don't know if it was 1A, but I would argue with anybody that we're looking at at least 1A or 1B here, you know, 
uh, definitely top five without a doubt. No one can argue that to me. Yeah. I mean, at least if you want to say FBS era teams, because that negates yeah. 95, 96. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. just want to go to the FBS era yeah. and talk about the last 25 years or so. To me, um, it's 99 and then uh, 2022, and you have to have 2014 in there yeah. as well. Yeah. Those, but, those three are, are, to me, the top three. Yeah. Th- this 2022 team – this defense is going to get underscored by the fact that it wasn't a championship winning team. And, you know, they, when, when people will ultimately say, well, all things being equal, 2014 won a title, 2022 didn't. It's still that, you know, okay. That's not the way I'm looking at it. Right. You're talking about national leaders in certain categories, uh, team lead at third down defense and stuff Mm. like that. National league lead category nationally led category it's an all-time defense it really is and the more of those pieces that you can return of course you would think that the better you're going to be set up for 2023 and losing guys like Palin Sartor on the offense is one thing but starting to trickle and chip away pieces on this defense is something totally different and Isaiah Norman is no small part of that now look the last guy that we have to talk about that I've seen make an announcement that was out there too he had another year of eligibility that we 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 heard about we wondered, oh, man, is he going to come back or is he going to execute? And we've talked about it many times. It's a business decision, right? And we're talking about Kalen Labor. Mm-hmm. He decided to uh, throw his name in the hat, start training. We talked about that on the episode previous, that he's uh, making preparations. He's going to be playing in the Pula Bowl. He's going to get to showcase his talents in front of some scouts. Um, without looking, because I'm I, I'm – a, I'm not an expert on anything. <laughs> I know a lot of stuff about a lot of things about the herd, but I'm not an expert on anything. When you talk about one-year guys, he's got to be right at the top, top three, you know, in, in one season with the herd and the production that he brought to the table and the success that it meant to that team. Other names that come, you know, most guys are going to be like, well, what about De Niro Marriott? Well, I'm not. I, I'm with you, right? I'm just saying right at the top. This is not the top, or or that's an argument for whatever you want to have. But you can't tell me he wasn't one of the best and arguably the best one-year performer for the Herd. Uh, top the, 10. The only the- argument I can think of would be Eric Kresser, but he was throwing the Moss, and I'm sorry. I think I could have thrown the Moss, and we would have been pretty pretty good that year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what can you say about Kalen Laburn that hasn't already been said? But still, I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk to him if he's listening and just you know put some shine again. He picked this team up and carried it when it needed it. And when you talk about what could have been when he was coming in here to redeem himself, but he was going to be spelling uh, Rasheen Ali, who – everyone expected to be all American level and he had to come in here and right before the season, Hey, you're going to be getting the bulk of the the carries to the tune of 30 carries a game. Mm-hmm. You know, the beating that he took, he showed that he was a man back there in the backfield. Yes. I can take those 30 and you would see him having to come off like uh go over to the sideline just to catch a little break and he'd be out for one play, maybe two plays. It's like, all right, put me back in. And uh, he had the explosiveness. He had the absolute low center of gravity that he would take 
uh, it seemed like every time that there was a hit, he was the one driving forward another yard or two. Instead of getting stopped at the line of scrimmage or getting a, a stop in the backfield, he would fight and get a yard, two yards. All that adds up. And he did every single thing that we asked of him and more. And I feel like that he was the MVP of the year for us. And uh, as good as, I mean, you could, you could pick somebody off the defense. You could say the defensive unit as a whole. Uh, but to me, Kalen Labron was our MVP uh, on the year. And he, uh, he stepped up when, when it was needed. And I can't imagine when we were struggling on offense with the pass, he was all we had. Teams knew that was all we had mm -hmm. and they could not stop him. Let me, let me give you some statistics. And uh, these pop your eyes up a little bit. 13 games played, full complement of games. Didn't miss a game. Dinged up, played through injury, we know that. We saw him hobble off the field a couple times. Um, 302 carries on the season. The amount of punishment that this poor guy took, game in and game out, is absolutely Herculean. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, you're right that defense is new. At certain points in the season, this is all Marshall has right now, and they still couldn't stop it completely. 1,567 rush yards on the season. 16 touchdowns on the ground. A long of 83. We saw multiple long runs of over 70, I think it was, or 72, 78. I can't remember what the one was against the Austin P. Signature run that we'll talk about forever. 42-yard run against Notre Dame where he puts his hand on the ground twice, and if it only happens once, he goes into the end zone. Multiple hard third downs picked up. You know, it's – I mean, if we wanted to go back, whoever makes the highlight tape for his season this year, it's going to be unbelievable to watch, mm -hmm. to relive some of those runs that we've forgotten about and uh, go back and watch – runs that we will talk about for decades because there are plays that we still talk about that are 20 years old, 25 years old. You know, how many times can you talk about the, you know, the, uh, the screen pass to Moss against army. You'll talk about yeah. that forever. Yeah. You'll talk about this run against Notre Dame forever. And the video exists in high definition. You'll see it clear as day, 25 years from now, you know, there, you just cannot, cannot say enough about what he meant especially yeah, he, when, when you wait a minute when you talk about the quarterback shakeup that we had yep Rashin ali going down in the going into the first game total unknown about what's this kalen labor guy going to be right we thought he could be a great compliment to to Rashin ali so all that leading in what three four days before kickoff and you're like i'm the guy now for for who knows how long and to have that thrust upon you, and then you know you, you you get the hard yards against Notre Dame. You put up a career type day against Notre Dame, one that he will talk about forever. I mean, rightfully so. You know, I put up a buck something against Notre Dame in South Bend, and we won that game. You know, um, undoubtedly the MVP of this offense, undoubtedly. And you could make the argument for MVP of the team. You know, uh, you can throw some of those defensive guys up there, Owen Porter and guys like that equally as important on their side of the ball. Uh, 
I'm not sure in in my short memory, my my struggling memory from yesteryear, you know, things get fuzzy and things run together. I'm not sure that I can remember a guy that was a hero, a hero one year guy that was this vital to the success of a team <laughs> in yeah. Marshall history. I mean, if he doesn't have the year he has, Marshall's not a nine win team. Period. Mm-hmm. Period. Okay. Well, we don't even need to argue that he he carried this team a lot, uh, and it's not to take away anything from anybody else. Because if this defense doesn't play the way this defense plays, Marshall's not a nine win team, right? We, I mean, that's fair to say too. But. Um, 300 carries on the season? Jeez. What a guy. And did it all. Humble. Worked. You know, just went out and did his job. Be, he'll live in – he should never have to buy a beer in Huntington, West Virginia for the rest of his life. Along with, should, along, along with these guys. Neither should I, but that's – Yeah, uh, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just wanted to say it was 83 yards against Georgia State. Yep. 78 yards against Gardner-Webb. He also had 61 against James Madison. Yeah, he broke that that long one. Yeah, he had 49 against Bowling Green, uh, 42 like you said against uh, Notre Dame, and it seems to me that he had some other longer runs in there that were just overshadowed by the 78 or the 83 in those games or the 61 that would also be for 30 some yards. But sure. he had, um, he had a bunch of 25, 26, 23. I mean, just flipping the field several times, breaking for touchdowns when that's what, you know, we were struggling as an offense until he got that. It was just put us on our back, basically. Yeah. Or put us on his back. Yeah. Forever indebted to the effort without, you know, without a doubt, forever indebted to the effort. Um, I'm, I, I said so many times throughout the season, like, uh, we are witnessing in real time like some great all-time performances, and I hope folks are paying attention. Because one of the things that I hate is when I don't recognize something in real time and then five, six years from now when, you know, you, you, let's say the the play of this position falls off quite a bit, and then you go, man, you remember how good Labron was in 2022? And that's when you appreciate it? Hell no. Appreciate it now. You know, appreciate it now. Don't be nitpicky now. Appreciate what you're seeing. Because – it was awesome. It was awesome. Some other guys that, that that I haven't seen an official announcement for, but we know we'll probably making a run at the NFL. Stephen Gilmore, Micah Abraham, Abraham Bowplan, Cumberlander. I mean, these guys are high performers. You would like to think that they're going to be at the pro day. They're going to be out there. They're training. They're getting ready. And I'm sure there are other guys too. Mm-hmm. We can't scour the interwebs to find every post. It would be cool if folks would just tag us because <laughs> we will retweet that. I'm just saying, uh, but there's, there's a lot. That's a lot of guys. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's nine guys. And if Andre Sam is is gonna make a run at the NFL, that's ten super high performers right there. And that's just the ones that we know about or potentially know about. And there may be more, like Watts and and um, and guys like that. So I'm just thankful, thankful for these guys. That's yeah. all I can say. Thankful for what they gave to. To me, as a player, what what the effort that they came out and played with, the, the blood, sweat, and tears that they gave the program that we love so much, and I wish them nothing but continued success. I hope every single one of them lands somewhere on a roster, even if it's not the NFL. I'll be a fan of the you know 
freaking Ed Edmonton, whatever they are, or, or whatever. Maybe I don't know. I'll be a fan of them. I'll be a fan of whatever XFL team you make or whatever, whatever team in whatever league we, we will continue to watch. Um, and if they bring back the Huntington Hawks, we'll be there. That's right, man. Give me, give me that or the heroes or yeah. the locos or whatever else they were for a number of years. I just keep picturing that number 29 Hawks Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Um, last thing I'll say on these guys, these particular guys is if any of you are listening, we would love to talk to you. Uh, we, we know you're busy with draft preparation and everything like that, but if you would like to grant us a little bit of time, we would love to talk to you on the show and talk about your experiences with the herd, what you loved here and, um, you know, what, what this season has meant. So I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know if any of these guys will be listening, but if they are hit us up, man, we, we will make some time for you. Russ, we've got a handful of guys that have transferred out. We mentioned uh, in the portal that we know of. Um, that are either showing up on a database somewhere or I've found across the timeline. There again, may be more, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys that I have leading with uh, defensive lineman, Emmanuel Balogun, who have, uh, entered the portal and then on early signing day committed to Charlotte. So we know where Emmanuel's going to be playing. Of course, quarterback Pete Zamora hit the portal early defensive lineman, Emmanuel Bush linebacker, James Smyrie, uh also, committed on early signing day to UAB. Oh, offensive lineman Jack Murphy committed and flipped to Appalachian State. So that'll be a nice um nice um storyline for the next couple of seasons with the old mountain feud between the herd and the Mountaineers. And I got a comment on that. Sure. I just want to dispel the rumor he did not transfer out because of what happened <laughs> between he and I. I was on... gonna say that. <laughs> He got really mad at you for calling him the wrong name. Yeah, man, <laughs> man, I just I blank because you know I, he didn't have a number on. He didn't, yeah. have, and I was like, he was like, hey, I listen and I follow along and everything, and I I guessed and it was wrong, and then I panicked, <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm Jack Murphy, and then the names are, I'm like transfer and he might like, no it's like man i'm sorry transfer don't mind if i do thanks yeah. a lot russ i appreciate yeah. that <laughs> I, I guarantee he put that on his exit interview <laughs> no but we i mean we do wish these guys there's three more i'm going to talk about. we wish them all the luck but um you know we'll be cheering for jack just not for three hours on a certain saturday whenever Absolutely. they hit the schedule that's it Absolutely. uh linebacker dan foster jr hit the portal as well and of all the guys that have hit the portal he has gotten what looks like the most interest because a slurry of teams, flurry of teams have offered him, including some historic rivals of the herd, Ohio university, Miami of Ohio, among others, uh, defensive lineman, Sherman Hatton hit the portal and former Cabell Midland night safety, Jaden Johnson hit the portal. So, um, we don't know where all these guys are going to end up. Three of them have, committed already we wish them all the best of luck and thank each and every one of them for what they meant to the herd the hard work that they put in and helping the herd get to where they were by the end of 2022 it is never sour grapes here on the thundercast That's it's right. nothing but the best for you guys um, and we will continue to pay attention to where you are and root you on so long as you're not playing the herd for three hours on a game day and then after that we'll root you right back on that's right, because as we mentioned before on a different show, we cannot celebrate these guys that came in. 
that we just highlighted that came in, like Labor and like Palin, yep. like Gibson, like Watts, all these different people. We can't celebrate them and then turn around and say, "Well, this this guy over here, he means nothing to me now that he's left." Yep. You know, you know, son of Marshall always, uh, but especially those that are leaving after getting a degree, they hold a little bit higher in my because they've mm-hmm. fulfilled their obligation. That's right. Uh, but. I still, if you have not fulfilled your four-year obligation and gotten a degree from us, I'm still going to wish you well because at one point you were here as a son of Marshall, and I feel like you'll always be a son of Marshall. We'd always like to have you back. If they do a 2022 reunion team or something like that, be more than glad. Yeah, be glad to have you come back. Yep. Um, You know, I expect them to build bonds with their new – teammates and their new schools it's a different era in this transfer uh portal era but hey i'm always going to be cheering you on i'll i'll actually be looking to see what you did i think that that'll mm-hmm. be a nice little comparison thing you know yeah there's so many extenuating circumstances that yeah, folks absolutely folks are just quick to say oh you don't want to play for the herd we'll be gone yeah. then but you don't yeah. know if a guy just wants to be closer to home maybe yeah. he's buried in the depth chart and he sees a yeah. better opportunity over here and he wants to play i mean you don't come this far just to come this far right yeah. you, you want to play you want to contribute you or you want to play and contribute closer to home or whatever the circumstance is it doesn't matter you know, they 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 thought enough to commit here. They put work in here. They did what they needed to do to make this team better and get ready for game day every week. And on some and in some instances, they were asked to contribute in games. What more do you want? You know, what more do you want? I wish them nothing but the best. I know Russ wishes them nothing but the best. Excuse me, nothing but the best. But that leads us to a flurry of transfer portal offers. It would be impossible to list everybody. Yeah. I've got, I just started writing them down and it got overwhelming. Well, before we get into those, we do have one that's transferred in that's committed already. So can we talk that, about him? Well, that, that's that I've got, um, with the early signing class, the transfers in and the okay. high school guys. That'll be fine. So yeah. all I wanted to do was talk about these portal offers in, in, in the capacity of the, the position groups that they yeah. look like they're hitting hard. And it looks like offensive line, defensive line and linebacker are the positions that they're hitting hard offensive line the hardest, like Mm -hmm. fourfold more than anywhere else. And I can understand that, you know, Mm -hmm. you're losing a lot of guys, but you also were spotty at points in the season. And that's just one of the most, if not the most important position on the field unit on the field outside of maybe quarterback. Well, and depth is so important. I mean, look at it. You lose impalement to the draft. You're losing mm-hmm. Sartre to the draft. You're losing uh, um, Jack to the transfer portal. Who else? Who else did I say? Is that it right off the bat? So that's three right off the bat. And there may be others that we just don't know about. If if those guys were all on the two deep, which we know two of them at least were, yep. that's uh, a three out of 10, you know, that's 30% mm-hmm. are gone. You, you at least need to replace those three. You know, for depth, even if they're not the guys you bring in aren't going to be on your two deep, you at least need to replace them. And um, depth to be able to rotate out, maybe you have a different uh, third and long group than you do your regular group. Maybe you uh, throw in a a different when you're able to sub in and out for run versus pass uh, blocking, that sort of thing. Might have specialists on there. You just need to have that depth. You need to have somebody that can come in. Uh, off the bench and maybe take over two different positions. You know, maybe they can play center and guard. Maybe 
they're a guard and tackle. Maybe they are not a guy that only plays left tackle, but they can play both sides. You know, you got to have depth and versatility on your offensive line. And because we had some issues there, it is a no brainer that they are going to be looking to bring in some big bodied guys that are not coming in. Cause let's face it, man, uh, offensive line in high school. Yeah. You're not ready body wise. Very rarely. Are you ready? I'll, I'll bring up a, a thing, you know, Seth cook, mm-hmm. uh, not as well as I do. Great. Yeah. Seth, Seth cook might as well be my little brother. Right. You know, and, um, his older brother, Jamie and I took him to his uh, uh, football banquet uh, when his parents couldn't go. We were the two that took him. And the first thing that they said to this behemoth of a a man child that was six foot four and about 280 pounds coming out of high school. That's all right. We're going to have to get some weight on you, son. That's right. And I mean, he dwarfs people. Mm -hmm. And that's just what you're looking at is, it's not just your size, but your strength, your explosiveness, you know, all that stuff. You, you just really need a a good year in a program. Well, here's a great way to get around that. Let's bring in some guys that are already two years in three years in or one year in heck four years in or five years in, and they've got a COVID year. We don't Mm -hmm. care. We want somebody that's going to come in and make an impact. That's right. It's, I talk about that so much about the importance of going through a collegiate strength program Yeah, and BA and those guys put together such a great program that you can't expect a kid that was playing high school level defensive linemen and mm-hmm. linebackers. I don't care how good they are. They're not going up against the Eli Neal's, the, mm-hmm. You know, Taquas legs in practice. They're going right. up against guys that are never going to play college ball most of the time. They're going to stop at high school, and there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. you're just not usually ready to play. Sometimes you are. Sometimes you can come in as a freshman and just dominate, and you do well. But if you want to have the opportunity for Rashina Ali to go for another thousand yard, thirteen, fourteen hundred yard season, you better do something to rebolster up that offensive line to play at a high level, right? right? So there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, to a certain degree, it probably puts some guys on notice, like, hey, there's going to be competition here. Mm-hmm. So the guys that are in-house say, all right, I need to go to work too, you mm-hmm. know? So And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's no calling out anybody. Good competition, you know, gets the best out of everybody. And and the and the, the, the high tide rises all boats, right? And that's what you want. You want your best five out there. That's what you want. And in this portal era where you can get instant impact guys that are ready to play, ready to play because they've been playing at the collegiate level. They've been through the strength programs. They've adjusted to college life. They've got it down. A lot of these extenuating factors are taken out of the equation. So hitting the portal hard is a good strategy, you know, because you can instantly fill holes. You still have to build through traditional high school recruiting. That's never going to go away, but for your instant Positions of need, portal's the way to go. Mm-hmm. It just is. And uh, the offensive line is always, I don't care if you're stacked, you're, it's always a position of need because you're one injury away, two fluky plays away from needing some real depth, right? Uh, so I can I can understand the, the emphasis on uh, offensive line. There's a trickling of defensive linemen. There's a handful of linebackers. We've talked about the attrition at that position. Uh, and Eli coming back just – Woo-hoo-hoo, that's a big, big plus. That's going to help a lot. And we've seen a spattering of wide receivers being offered. Offered. Now let's move into commitments. The early signing period 
just happened there a few days ago, last week sometime. Marshall brought in what I count four transfers or committed four transfers already, and then seven more guys from the high school ranks. So where I'm going to let you start because you wanted to talk about somebody. Who would you want to talk about? Well, it's that McNeese State pipeline. You know, yep. uh, Gid- Gidry came from there, Lance Gidry. And, uh, you know, we just talked about Isaiah Norman earlier. No, he was Sam. Austin P. Oh, yeah. yeah. Andre Sam was uh, from McNeese State. And before him. Corey the, McCoy. Corey McCoy. All right. So we've got a little pipeline going there. Yep. Uh, what have we heard uh, from a lot of people, even the coaching staff and pressers and everything talk about that is needed? is explosiveness on the wide receiver. You know, uh, I remember that uh, Charles Montgomery screenplay that went for 70 yards. 70 some yards, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He seems to have that explosiveness uh, when he can get out in the open field and everything. So we went out and got a guy that's a little undersized uh, based on what, you know, we've been talking about Huff and has brought in 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", that sort of thing. Five foot seven, Mm -hmm. undersized. What does he bring to the table? Someone told me when I sent the um, uh, highlight video to them, a friend, mutual friend of ours, they said they have not seen someone hitting the hole already at full speed going that fast until or since Rockhead. That he was already top speed, not looking to where can I go through. He was just running and already had seen where the hole was going to be. So he was already at full speed when he got there. This guy is running right past people on punt returns, kickoff returns. And then, oh, yeah, he's a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about Mason Pierce. Mason Pierce, and, that's right. And uh, I don't want to say, hey, we expect this guy to come in here and dominate or anything like that. But how much in football have you seen someone be a weapon on the special team side alone mm-hmm. to where it makes them a, a good – this looks like a very good slot player. He's undersized. He's not going to be your uh, X or Z guy out on the, or X or Y guy out on the sidelines. Um, but he is explosive. He is fast. And I really look forward to seeing what he could do as a punt returner or a kick returner because, hey, we've, we've had some very good luck out of that position alone. We had DeAndre Reeves on the on the show a couple of times. Yep. How how much of a weapon was he? He was a huge weapon and, and very vital to the success of the 2014 and 15 teams. But uh, we just talked about in the last episode, we didn't see any major waves in the punt return game, the kick right. return game this year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the new kickoff rules lend to that being less of an yep. impactful thing. But still, Talit Keaton has been our guy when he's healthy enough to be that guy in the punt game, and I really like what he brings to the table. But Talit got dinged up, you know, and we're going to have to wait on a recovery and and him to fight his way back, and I feel fully confident that that's going to happen. Don't get me wrong. I love the guy. I love the ability, and I love the game-breaking speed that he has at that position. But it never hurts to have a second equally lethal punt returner. And you mentioned Mason Pierce from McNeese. The pipeline, it's real. The Gidry pipeline is real. Uh, first team, all Southland punt returner. Second team, all Southland wide receiver. What do you want? You wanted a dual threat? That's your dual threat guy right there. Yeah. You need to fill a void. That's a guy that fills a void. So if Talik's not quite where he wants to be when the season rolls around, 
you have somebody right there to to push for that position, right? Um, if Talik is healthy, hey, we've got more weapons in the arsenal. Yeah. I like a scenario just off the top of my head where you're talking about all these quick as a hiccup guys with Montgomery and, and Horton and Gamage on the outside causing trouble. And now you throw in guys like Mason Pierce to compliment Keaton. Things start to get really, really worrisome for defensive backfields. Yeah. And who are they going to key on? Who are they going to stop? Where's the play going to go? And these screenplays that we seem to love to run, you need guys like that that can make these moves and hit those holes. So this is an excellent first pickup, one of four. Second guy we're going to talk about is another wide receiver. This is Demarcus Harris. He comes over from University of Kentucky uh, right down the road. So anytime you can get some SEC experience to come down to Huntington, worked out really well with Isaiah Gibson this year. Of course, it's a different side of the ball, totally different position. But still, that success, that experience, that that atmosphere translated well to what the herd likes to do and to bolster that wide receiver room big time deal we Local. know we know why that uh he likely was looked at and targeted is uh coach bonite was there at yep. at the university of kentucky so i don't think that we would have brought him over if we said hey he's not going to be an explosive guy Right. You know, this is this no, is all you, about relationships, yeah. right? You bring a guy, a cook, a coach from University of Kentucky. This coach knows what this guy brings. Yeah. Knows him intimately, right? He because was at he, that position. That's right. And he coached him. Yeah. Day in and day out. He, he knows may the, have work been ethic. the guy that recruited him. There you go. He knows the work ethic. He knows the expectation. He knows this guy's baseline, everything. Mm-hmm. And and if that's good enough for him, then that's a guy you want. It may be a great locker room guy, all mm-hmm. of that type of stuff. So these are these transfers are are it's two for two now. We're talking about relationships, right? It's Gidry with McNeese, UK and Bonite, and positions of need. Third guy we're going to talk about is a local kid, Cabell Midland, another Cabell Midlander, safety. JJ Roberts comes over from Wake Forest, one of the most highly recruited athletes uh, from a couple of years ago out of the state of West Virginia, and he's going to return home to uh, play for the herd. Instant impact at safety. We just talked about Isaiah Norman declaring for the draft. Enter J.J. Roberts, who you would like to think is going to be can, – we can't rubber stamp this, but you would like to think he's going to be a day one starter for the herd. You would like mm-hmm. to think that because he's an impactful player. I can't say that with 100% certainty, but he's been in the programs, been at Wake Forest. Wake Forest won a lot of damn ball games over the past mm-hmm. couple of years. There's not They weren't the ACC doormat that they had been for a long time. And this is a very, very competitive team, and J.J. made some plays for them in that defensive secondary, and he's bringing those talents back home to the Huntington area to play in front of some local crowds again. This is a big get for the Herd. I'm sorry, it is. This is a big get for the Herd, and this will bolster that position undoubtedly. Lastly, quarterback, okay, comes over from Moorhead State, uh, Colin Paracek. There's not a whole lot out there, but I have seen some things about his story and how he ended up where he ended up, and he was kind of a victim of uh, COVID and spring football seasons and things mm-hmm. like that. And his recruitment kind of, kind of um, took a took one on the chin because of the seasons getting flip flopped. And I don't know how he fits into the Marshall quarterback room. I don't really know if he's a developmental guy or if he's one of these um, guys that will push Cam for you know the job next year but if if you dig into his story he comes out of michigan Mm -hmm. right 
And um, like I said, expect his recruiting to hit a pretty high hit a pretty high level and then COVID hit and threw them into spring football and all that kind of stuff. And he was just a victim of, of uh, that sort of thing goes the prep school route in hopes of getting some tape out there and, and, and kicking up that uh, recruitment motor again. And it just kind of didn't pan out. So he goes to Moorhead, gets a year in a college uh, program and is now, you know, hits the portal again and, and comes right down the road to Huntington. And we'll see what that is, what that, what that turns into, but it's an intriguing story. Nonetheless, intriguing, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. And this might be a depth situation with Zamora going out. Uh, I've uh, also heard it being discussed if he's actually going to be on scholarship or if he's going to be a preferred walk on. Um, I don't have that information and neither do you. So we're just speculating. Total speculation. Yeah. But um we have a need at quarterback, you know, uh, we need to, I have a need at backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. So Zamora leaving, you've still got, uh, Fancher coming back. You've got Cade Cunningham, hopefully coming back. Uh, and I say, hopefully just cause I haven't heard anything, but mm-hmm. he was a walk on. I don't know if he's going to be getting uh, a scholarship now or not. Uh, Chase Harrison and, uh, Cole Pennington. Mm-hmm. And other than that, that's it. You know, um, I don't think anybody is thinking, oh, well, we're bringing in Parachek. He's our new starter. I don't think that's any kind of chatter whatsoever. So right now you're looking at depth, possible walk on. He may earn a scholarship. He may get one out of the gate and he may take over and just show everybody he's the guy. Whoever beats out whomever in spring ball will certainly be, I think, head and shoulders over everybody else. Because if you beat out Cam, the returning starter right now, who has a lot of wheels and is six and one as a starter, that just shows that you're above him. You know, if uh, Cam wins out, I think that we have plenty of people behind him that were highly touted that he showed enough growth uh, between the seasons that he's the guy. So mm-hmm. I think we're in a good position and I don't think that we'll be going in like we were this year where we said, Hey, we've got two quarterbacks and we're going to be splitting time. I just don't see it. I think well, we'll have one clear guy. Well, even let's go even further back. We're going into the season and your grad transfer. Columbia can't take part in spring ball because right. he's still enrolled somewhere else. And now you're like, we've got a one quarterback that took snaps last year and we yeah. really don't know what the hell we've got going on. That's right. You know, those questions were, scary back then back in the spring ball and of course you have to keep in mind that the transfer window never really closes so you may see some attrition this is not by no means done we don't know but i'm just saying anybody can throw their name in the hat basically at any time basically at any time so you know you we don't know if there's more guys entering the portal we don't know if marshall's gonna you know go after a highly sought after portal quarterback we don't know we don't know. We are. We'll find out when most of the fan base finds out, and we'll just have some reaction to it. Excuse me. Let's. I got seven guys here. We're going to talk about. It's come out of the high school ranks. We'll go okay. we'll talk about them, and you know, we'll dive into more of this later in the spring. But for now, it's three defensive backs: C.J. Davis, 
out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, Amir Foster, defensive back out of Miami, Florida, Caleb Clark Glover out of Springdale, Ohio, tight end, big tight end, Tracy Stevens out of Columbia, South Carolina, six foot five, two sixty. Holy moly. Um, defensive lineman Benny Tashita. This is one that I am quietly really excited about because I think he has he's been high on Marshall for a while. We've had him kind of in the green truck for a for a long time, but I think he could I think he went under recruited or Marshall just really sold him early because I think he's going to turn into be a big weapon out of Louisville, Kentucky. Offensive lineman, another Cabell Midland Knights, a local kid, Sean Rouse from Milton. Uh, 6'4", 260, and then, of course, we got to close it out with linebacker Jaden Yates, six foot one, 200-pounder from Columbus, Ohio. And, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't check the box and say son of Marshall Hall of Famer Max Yates, but... Pretty good linebacker. Pretty good linebacker. And, of course, <laughs> of course, if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a really good linebacker. That's from our era, the Mac era. Uh, Max was a great, great linebacker. Really, really fun to watch. And a really high performer, but as with all these second generation type players, um, it bugs me when the very next line is Jaden Yates, comma, son of Max Yates. Like I get that they're probably proud of that. I would be proud of that too. But just we had an opportunity to to run into Cole Pennington mm-hmm. earlier in the football season, and we you know we talked to him for a minute or so, and and we we I made the comment that like there are plenty of people in the fan base that see you as Cole Pennington not just Chad Pennington's son. And I feel the same way about Jaden. You're Jaden Yates, right? You want to be the first Jaden Yates. If you're the next Mac Yates, that's pretty damn good too. But you want to be the first Jaden Yates. And that's how I like to treat these guys. They're their own guy. They've got a killer bloodline and a lot of history with Marshall and the family. But they're their own player, man. It's their time to shine. And I'm excited as hell that he signed his name on the dotted line is going to come play for the herd. That 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 is really cool to me. The, he's just a good player in his own right, in his own right. Um, thoughts on these seven out of high school? It is extremely hard for me, especially in today's era, to gauge anything more than other teams that were in on their recruitment. That's a good point, yeah. Um, that That's just me. Now, yeah. there may be other people. Uh, I don't watch a lot of film. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, the level of competition. It's hard to gauge, you know, how fast they truly are. Uh, timing and things like that are highly suspect when they say, well, he runs a four, four 40, mm-hmm. um, you know, how was it timed? Who timed it? You know, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that's a good gauge, but it's also extremely hard for me now to where, unless they have some sort of tie here and we've already seen one person with tie here, Tony Martin flip and go Flipped. somewhere else. Yep. It's really hard for me in this day of the transfer portal to say, well, this guy's going to be here for five years. He's going to redshirt and have four years. So I have already changed in my mind to focus on the transfer portal more than early signing day because we're not in Alabama or in Ohio State where you can say he's clearly the top three at his position in the country. Mm-hmm. So I think more than anything, we have a staff that can take these diamonds in the rough or these under-recruited players or these people with nonstop motors and heart and make them into a very good football player. Uh, We can do that definitely here from the local level. You know, look at Owen Porter, Mm -hmm. you know, 
And I think that that's more what we're going to have to do is just take these guys in here and say, hey, our recruiters saw enough in them that they think that they can fit into what they're wanting to do here. So I'm going to give them a thumbs up. But I can't look at their tape and tell you, hey, I'm really excited about this guy. Now I can look at uh, Mason Pierce's tape because that was at the FCS level. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that all those guys, even if it's at FCS, they're not high school. Those are defensive guys and special teams guys that have been in weight rooms and he's blowing right past them and that he's running zigzag to make the guy, the defender turn to have no chance, even though there was 30 yards to slow him down. Mm -hmm. All he did was do a couple of head fakes and turn the, uh, the would be tackler around that are, that's things that I can see at a college level, but their tape highlight tapes are meant to be their best plays of the year. They're generally shot from the press box up on the sideline uh, with one angle. Uh, you don't get that benefit of different angles from the ESPN plus cameras and that sort of thing. So it's just hard for me to one, get excited unless they have a tie to Marshall, like mm -hmm. Mr. Yates and how Mr. Pennington was and uh guy that we are expected to sign uh, in uh, Jermaine Swafford's son Lane, Lane in yep. February. So unless they have some kind of tie already or that I know them from a local team that I have followed or seen them play or someone knows them, it's hard for me to gauge anything. I'm, uh, I've already shifted to that. Like I'm excited if we bring in four offensive linemen from programs in college already because they've already got that offensive line body mm -hmm. at the collegiate level. Yeah, they're they're more ready made to play immediately, and I understand that. Uh, I guess what I was maybe alluding to is the breakdown of positions in these early signs. They fill some holes. We know we're going to be vacating some roster spots at defensive back. Uh, we got a linebacker that's going to be leaving. A couple of them, offensive line, defensive line. You always need Devin Miller, of course. Uh, exhausted eligibility i think stacy marshall was a young one-year guy at tight end yep. so you bring in a tight end and tracy stevens to fill that hole maybe a developmental guy maybe not maybe a player from the get-go the one mm -hmm. thing i will say just in a slight rebuttal is i don't want to give the impression that everybody that we recruit is uh you know uh, needs a lot of work right because some guys just want to mm -hmm. come here right yeah some guys just want to be here and they're ready mm -hmm. to play and, and they're they're slightly above the average or above the above average. Right. And they can't like look at look at uh Jacoby Henderson, for example. Came in right. in spring ball and went toe to toe with our ones. Yeah. And he was ready to play. And, and and he played some this season. And you probably think, hey, if if Gilmore and Abraham aren't having the stellar years that they're having, maybe he gets a few more reps. But you can't mm -hmm. take those guys off the field just to get right. somebody on the field, right? Jacoby was ready to play. And um, so not everybody that comes here needs just a vast amount of work. I don't want to give that impression. We still recruit some dogs. We do. And and, and our win-loss record shows that. Our mentality on game day shows that. Uh, and, and it's just exciting. So moving forward, I guess if we got to name a handful of areas of need, we've, we've mentioned a lot of them. Um, I think continually we'll see some movement in offensive line, defensive line. That kind of goes without saying. Quarterback, I don't know if we're done. I think if there's somebody out there that's that you just can't look away from that needs a home, mm -hmm. you probably go after him, right? Because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you bring in at least some competition to push Cam, to push whoever, to be QB1 
definitely. Um, and if, 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 if you bring a guy in and Cam beats him out or whatever the case may be, you know you'll have a solid number two. So I don't think that you can just always turn away from the quarterback position. Um, we did some, we made some moves there from the wide receiver ranks. I still think if we can get one or two more guys, specifically some really tall guys, there's an mm-hmm. offer out to one of those guys right now coming six out of four. six foot four, coming out of North Carolina AT. He's got a hurt offer. You can imagine damage on one side, him on the other side. And then you're fighting the middle with guys like Horton and Montgomery and you know, Pierce and Harris and, and a healthy Talik Keaton and Ahmed Should and all these guys, Ahmed. you know, um, safety, they fill a big hole with JJ Roberts coming in. You're probably still going to see some movement there. I think so. Unless Andre Sam's coming back again, uh, that we do have some guys on the roster that, uh, came in late and, you know, either red shirted or just whatever. Uh, I remember specifically, uh, there was a guy that I think it was either Ole Miss or Mississippi State. Remember, we we just added to the roster and mm-hmm. fell under the radar and still isn't talked about. So I don't want to bring that up again. We'll just see how that looks in spring ball. Mm-hmm. And then of same, course, line- same with the uh, uh, lineman that we talked about from Miami. Yeah. yeah. So and then the last position I think you probably will see some movement on is uh, linebacker. Really, yeah, 100%. just just for depth, just for depth. Uh, if there's one position I think we probably feel the best at, it would have to be running back. And and you say, wow, you're going to lose a 1,500-plus yard rusher and still feel pretty good where you're at? Yeah, because as of now, Ali's coming back, and the guys we have playing behind him, behind them, him, uh, we saw some great things out of. A.J. Turner, mm-hmm. Gordon, you know, uh, the, the, I like the depth there. Pain. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot there. There's yeah. there's no reason to get worried. So I really like recruiting. I know there's a lot of movement that's going to happen between now and week one of the season, uh, but particularly between now and when we start talking about spring ball. Uh, it's exciting times. Nonetheless, if you got anything else you want to say about this recruiting and all the news that's going on, let's have it. If not, let's go around the herd. No, the only uh, final thought I have is it just seems – clear to me that we needed to have scholarships open for transfers in. And that's why this recruiting class was so small in the early signing. I can remember before having classes of like 23 and that sort of thing, but it's a new era Yeah, and you only have so many scholarships to, to give out and you still have some people up in the air on whether or not they're coming back, you know? So you kind of have to juggle. It's a, it's, it's totally different now than it was before when you could just say eligibility has gone. I need a decision. Are you coming back uh, or not? You know, are you going to go to grad school? Cause you got a year left. What are you going to do? They tell you their answer. And then you say, here's how many scholarships I have. Here's how many I can bring in the signing class. Well, mm-hmm. now you've got early signing period. You've got the regular signing period. You've got transfer portal portal. They can transfer at any time. So you could maybe not have any scholarships and then four more people enter the portal and you got four scholarships to give. Yeah. But if you have already exhausted them, you can't offer these linemen to come in or these wide receivers to come in and these other places of need like we're talking. So it's just, it's different now. Uh, I feel like we're going to have another couple of years under this before it becomes the norm to where nationally everyone knows how it's going to go. But right now it's just kind of filling out team by team, coaching staff by coaching staff is how do we approach this? And I think uh, right now it was apparent that we needed to leave some scholarships open. 
wait to see how a couple other things shake out on who's coming back and who isn't and uh then go from there yeah this and stack on to everything you just said which is 100 percent right then you have guys that are just indecisive you know they're out there in the portal and they're saying well let me i don't know where i want to go and they sat on their hands too long and now they're like damn it yeah. <laughs> where do i go i i cannot remember the stats but i saw something uh something like 40 percent of the people that entered the and I, I, that may be way off, but it seems like that stick in my head that like 40% of the people that entered the portal did not find a home to yeah. go to. Yeah, it gets scary. I mean, you got to bet on yourself and then you've got to be quick with your decision. Yeah. If if somebody offers you, you light, you better take it. You know, yeah. You've been like, well, you know, Marshall offered me. Let me see if Alabama's going to offer it. You know, yeah. you're like, no, nah, I like the herd. I like what they're all about. I like the like, place. And then I'm in, you know, yeah. I'm in. All right, uh, we'll keep you everybody abreast as more, you know, we'll do a recruiting update and and all that kind of stuff, like probably every few weeks, you know, yeah. it's not going to be an every week thing. We'll let some news stack up and then we'll talk about it. But still, let's take it around the herd. We've had a little bit going on, with, especially in basketball, but um, a little swimming and diving and that kind of stuff. But uh, let's let's cover this stuff and then close this one out. All right, we're going to start out with swimming and diving and way back on December the 16th. They had a meet at FIU, and the story coming out of there is they had some really good individual performances, but they lost the overall meet uh, points was 191 to 108. But let's talk about some of the good things that happened from there, shall we? Okay. All right. So we mentioned earlier um, uh, Grace Kelsheimer and... She had her personal best in the three meter performance. When anytime you're talking about personal best and athlete of the week, obviously you did what you were supposed to do. Um, we had here second place in the 200 medley relay. We had Maya McBride, Paige Banton, Madeline Hart, and Or Tamir. They came in second. Uh, Coming in first was in the 100 backstroke was uh, Maya McBride or Mia McBride. 100 breaststroke, Paige Banton came in second. Esther Laybon came in uh, first in the 200 butterfly. Clava Katayama came in second in the 50 freestyle. 200 back, backstroke, uh, McBride came in second in that. 200 breaststroke. Paige Banton came in second in that. 500 freestyle. Uh, Laban Laban came in first in that. Uh, she also came in second in the 400 individual medley. Freestyle relay. Katayama McBride. Tamir and Hart came in second. Uh, one meter diving. Kelsheimer came in second. Three meter diving. Uh, she came in second. And again, that was her personal best on that score. So as you can see, lots of yeah. first and second. And I didn't even go over. There's a multitude of third and fourth. Again, yeah. the only two programs, FIU and Marshall, going against each other. But to lose 191 to 108 doesn't tell the story when you start seeing how many wins and second place finishes we had. Yeah. Uh, swimming and diving to me is one of – I mean, I know how it works, obviously. But the the overall team scoring and things like that, I can't – I don't know how that works. So um, still, 
this is very much along the same lines as track and field to me and the thought process of as long as I keep hearing personal best mm-hmm. or school record, that's what resonates with me. Yeah. It's it's much less about that first place finish, second place finish, because like you said, it, that was a two team meet. So mm-hmm. somebody's going to finish first and somebody's going to finish second. I mean, FIU could have, you know, first, second, third, third, yeah, you know, but it's, it's about the time. So while yes, you are racing other competitors, you're really racing yourself mm-hmm. because you're just trying to beat that time. So I think of it in terms like that more often. And so whenever I hear personal best school record, that's what resonates with me more. And the more I hear that, the better I feel. And it's undoubted, undoubt, undoubtedly now this, this program has raised a level to where it was maybe a year ago. And um, I think coach um, Ian Walsh is, is, bringing in the right kind of talent it, it might take a while to get back to the glory days of the southern conference when martial swimming and diving was really 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 competitive but we're competitive now just on yeah. a different front so this is all good to hear i want to i just want to keep hearing school record personal best personal best that type of thing so you know yeah i'm cool with this missouri valley thing but if we're really hitting it hard next year when we are playing or when we are competing in more Sunbelt conference meets with against peer schools, that's really what I'm hoping we hit the ground running on. And I don't want this to sound the wrong way because I want them to win every meet, but I view these, I view these meets as a very good practice for the conference championships Yep, and then the regionals and that sort of thing. It's just totally, totally different to where, you know, I don't think, I think this is more on track and field, like you said, competing against yourself and trying to place first, you know, in, in all this, but I don't really think that overall team wins. It's not the same as the basketball team, right? Women's basketball going, uh, two and three on a road trip that if the swim and dive went two and three on a road trip, that they would feel as bad if they're bringing home a lot of first and second place victories. Right. You know, because, yes, as a team, the overall meet is scored that way and it is a victory and all that, but it's more about these performances and how each of you are getting ready for those more important conference championships and the regionals and the finals and that sort of thing. Yep, I am 100% with that. I'm not trying to downplay the regular season, but I view it very much like that. You're trying to get ready to ultimately perform at the conference championships or NCAA regionals or whatever, the the, the high-dollar tournament. So that's why I am more on the personal best and the times and this and that and the other rather than the individual finishes. Where are we heading to now? Well, we're going to go to women's basketball. And back on 12-14, this was that game at USF that uh, you were hoping to get to but just could not. Uh, They ended up losing that game 77-68. to They rebounded, no pun intended, as you like to throw those in. They beat St. Bonaventure at home on 12-18, 61-53. They went on to beat UT Chattanooga 60-56 on 12-21. And last night, in a thrilling overtime victory, won 63-61 against South Alabama to open up 
Sunbelt play. Yeah. In any or all of those games or individuals, let's talk about whatever you want. Well, no, not really, because there's so many games. Uh, I guess the only thing I'll go to is directly to the South Alabama game, because now the real season really starts. Mm-hmm. Out of conference is over. We're into Sunbelt Conference play. And uh, the herd sets eight and four right now. I love that. I love that. I was flipping back and forth because Marshall was, we'll talk about this in a minute, of course, but because Marshall was running Appalachian State out of the gym, I found myself flipping back from the broadcast of the men's game and watching the end of the women's game. And I watched, you know, I I was following along the game cast and bucket here, bucket there, back and forth, this and that. So I'm like, dude, I got to watch this. And and that's what I did. That fourth quarter was Pretty intense. The The final few minutes were really intense. And then that overtime period was pretty good, too. There was a clutch shot hit by South Alabama late, under a minute to go. Um, and then the herd trying to set up a play here. And uh, Rochelle Scott hits the, the go-ahead bucket with 2.6 seconds left. I mean, it was awesome, man. They, the, those, those gals were all fired up on both teams. They were fired up. They wanted – both of them wanted that game. And for Tony Kemper and his crew to go on the road in your first ever Sunbelt game and put together a comeback effort and then go to overtime and then weather the storm, take the uh, lose the lead late and under a minute to go, and then set up a play and hit a clutch shot, it speaks volumes to me. I love what this uh, what this team is doing. So uh, all I'm going to talk about is point performances, and, and it's it's Rochelle Scott and Abby Beeman again in this one. Huge yeah. for the herd. 20 for Abby, 19 for Rochelle. Um, what's it? Uh, Kendall Miller is the one. She hits a three-pointer to basically send that game. Um, Into OT. It, was that it? Was it, Or was that at halftime? I can't remember. But anyway, she That hit, was at halftime. She hit a buzzer beat. Yeah. That's right. She hit yeah, a buzzer beat three at halftime. That was slick as all get out, man. So – these girls are are giving it hell, and and they're going to be returning home here pretty soon. When is that? Uh, Thursday? Uh, no, I don't think they're home on Thursday. Maybe it's a week from Thursday. Oh yeah. wait, you're talking about next week? Because mm-hmm. today's Friday. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Yeah, Thursday, uh, January fifth. They'll yeah. be hosting James Madison, and James Madison is rolling eleven and two on the season. This will be a big game for the herd. We'll have tickets, of course. Uh, tip will be at six o'clock, and um, we would really like for as many people to get to the cam to support this team because uh, just watching the end of that South Alabama game, they're hiring high energy group, and um, we'd like to see you guys turning out to support them in, in in a big one at home. Beating James Madison would be pretty big, pretty big for this uh, for this herd team, but. Uh, last thing I'll say is, yeah, I really wanted to go to the game at USF. I had plans on making it happen, and then I think I didn't get home from work until like 5 a.m. that morning, and it was an 11 a.m. tip, and I was like, yeah, this ain't going to happen. And I ended up sleeping right through it. So, bummer, but we'll get them next time. Uh, let's go over a little bit of uh, stats since uh, the out-of-conference, and now they have one game. I'm assuming this one game has been – updated because they've got them at 12 games in here so the stats should be current Rashala Scott leads the team with 17.7 points per game Abby Beeman 13.7 and Mahogany Matthews also in double figures with 10.3 yeah 
uh, rebounds. Uh, Beeman has 7.1 a game. Uh, 5.4 for Scott. And Matthews has 4.3. And then 4.8 is Kaya Civils. So we've got uh, those top three scorers are also doing it, you know, on a little bit of everything. And we talked about this uh, dynamic of bringing in so many, not just players, but staff members. You know, there's kind of a total overhaul and how it might be difficult. We talked about it a little bit on the men, difficult to jail early on. It seems like they're doing a great job of it. They've lost a couple of games that were really close. So they are looking poised to make a good run. Yeah. And I think the most important factor, the most important component to this game or to this team is the addition of Abby Beeman because yeah. she's second on the team in scoring, first on the team in rebounds per game, first in the team in assists per game, yeah. first on the team in steals per game. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's just making the whole machine work and creating opportunities for the leading scorer. Or Shayla Scott. So as those two go, usually so goes the lady herd. Yeah. And uh, but but it's an interesting, it's an interesting one, two, three kind of punch for for this team. Uh others have the ability to score. In fact, others do score. But if if Abby Beeman and Rochelle Scott have a hot hand, Mahogany Matthews to a certain point has a hot hand, this herd team puts up a fair amount of points and they're pretty tough to beat. Yeah. Matthews is also getting it done on blocks, getting nearly one and a half per game. But listen to this stat line, uh, like you just said here uh, for Beeman, 13.7 points, 7.1 boards, five uh, on assists per game, and 1.5 steals per game. That is a line. That is a stat line. But, yeah, they, um, they're getting it done on the boards. They're getting it done uh, penetration and kick out. They're just playing very well together, and I think that some of these early games where we've gotten more of the depth chart in there to get around is has really helped. You know, mm-hmm. we, they've had some games where they they blew some people out, and was it Davis and Elkins <laughs> that was so bad? Yeah, and I still I still feel bad for them, but <laughs> uh, you know, things like that let you get these other players in to to get some experience playing with these uh, starters to. Maybe we can make a good run in the yeah. Sun Belt, man. Yeah, it, it, they they poised to at least be competitive. I don't recall where they were preseason finished, uh, predicted to finish in the Sun Belt, but uh, they've got the ability. Like I said, this game against James James Madison will be a real um, uh, measuring stick game. You know, because if they're competitive in this one, lose a close one or win this one at home, this will go a long way. 11-2 and two for James Madison on the year. This is a big game. So if you can prove you can go toe-to-toe with JMU or beat JMU, then you're ready to play. You're ready to. You're ready for the Sun Belt Conference. Where are we at uh, with the men? So the men uh, have also had several games. They, uh, the way back the day that we recorded, was on 12-13, and they lost that game to UNC Greensboro, if I'm counting correctly. Mm-hmm. We may have covered this game before, but I'm putting it on here anyway. We did not. We, we lost it 75-67 to at UNC Greensboro. Uh, then we ended up beating Toledo 100-85 to at home uh, on 12-17, and that gave us the MAC championship 
as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we ended up uh, playing Glenville at home on 12-19 and uh, beat them pretty handedly as well. That game saw some huge runs by us. At one point, I think we had 25 in a row or 23 in a row. Uh, they would then allow them to come back, but we won that one handily as well. And then, of course, last night, we won 79-53 to against App State with the uh, Bruce Morris putting the footprints back on the court game. Yeah, this is uh, this herd team is streaking. We've used that term a lot. We, in fact, last time we recorded, we were talking about them trying to get a 10-game win streak and ended up losing to UNC Greensboro. But we tweeted, well, nothing to do now but go on another run, and that's exactly what they've freaking done. Mm-hmm. So 11-2, and two, they're going to welcome in James Madison as well. I think that game, is that game tomorrow? Yeah, it's tomorrow at uh, 2 o'clock. Well, and I mean, of course we'll have tickets, but that, nobody will hear that in time. We'll have, we will have given the tickets away by then. It's, it's looking like, again, nothing you can do when you hear this, but it's looking like the game may be a sellout. Hmm. The get, the tickets are going in the lower bowl pretty handily. Uh, so if you're looking at going to walk up, that may be, you know, you may have slim pickings on where you want to sit, but uh, it, it sold very well. JMU is a very good team. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that briefly in just a second. And also the women are playing tomorrow as well, but it's away and they're playing App State at App State at 7 p.m. So yeah. if uh, if you want to watch the women play, they'll be on ESPN Plus. The men will be at home, but they're also on ESPN Plus. Uh, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about this stretch that they're on and the men's team, what they're doing right now. Well, I mean, twelve and two. I think I might have said eleven and two, but they're twelve and two after mm-hmm. that win last night against App State. And I said it, and then it's they they ran App State out of that gym late, yeah. late yeah. in the game. It, it was it was pretty tight there for a, a little while. Then ta- then Tavion Kenzie got in a little foul trouble. They took him out of the game, and the herd increased. You talk about that plus minus a lot. Yeah. And I remember the announcers in the game were like, all right, well, we'll see how the herd does with Kenzie on the floor or on the bench. He had to set for like seven minutes of game time. And the herd, I think, had a nine point lead. And then and as he was on the uh, on the bench, it, it got stretched to a 14 point lead. Andy Taylor got far more aggressive from the offense on the offensive side of the ball. Uh Obana and and Hanlogan were just locking down low. The defense that Marshall brought during that stretch, several shot clock violations against mm-hmm. Appalachians. They were smothering for a yeah. lot of this game, and especially late in this game. It was fun to see. It was really fun to see. So now we're looking at a Marshall team that can score a lot of points and can also lock you down with some defense and slow you down if you're a fast-paced team. This is a really, really interesting team, and I'm telling you, if things keep going in this direction, this may be Dan's best team. I mean, man, that's hard to say when you talk about guys like John Elmore and and Stevie uh, Stevie Browning and and Burks. that 2018 team. Yeah, C.J. Burks, man, they were a good team. Idine Peneva, but this may end up being Danny's best team. Uh, they're really fun to watch right now. Really, really fun to watch. With, right with four of their seven, they routinely only play seven people. They have been because of foul trouble. And man, time out briefly. What a horribly called game by the refs yeah. yesterday. Uh, I'm glad that I ended up not being able to go to the game. We had planned on taking all three kids. 
and time got away. You and I were trying to see if we were going to be able to record mm-hmm. uh, before the game. Uh, and then, you know, maybe after the game, things didn't work out. I didn't go to the game. I feel like I might have been escorted out of the stadium. <laughs> you know, <'cause... laughs> but uh, the same was said about Christian Spears and Danny because they were both given the refs the walk for. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, Handlockton, uh, when he has been getting in foul trouble early, we had just been bringing in Toussaint. We have now been bringing in Gorin. Gorin came in, played 12 minutes last night, and had seven boards. Uh, he had a couple of blocks. He did bobble one easy was going to be a dunk and then yeah. missed another wide open dunk. Um, I'm going to chalk that up to nerves because we know, I mean, he's got good touch around the rim and everything like that. Han Logton obviously leapfrogged over him mm-hmm. for playing time, but Goran, when he's coming in, man, he's giving it his all. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, out of the seven routine people that are playing the majority of the minutes, four of them are brand new. Kerfman via transfer and the other guys, freshman with Frick's only playing garbage time for about four to five minutes last year because of that knee injury that he had. And these guys were talking about seven foot one with touch around the basket and great passing ability and diving on the court and being a specialist. I mean, he gets more jump balls than anybody I've seen tying people up and it go into possession uh, in hand Logton. He's getting some national publicity you know, on, on him being the leading rebounder and shot blocker amongst freshmen. Mm-hmm. He's seven foot one last night. He came off of a, uh, a pick and slip, not a pick and roll, but he did the pick slip. They threw it to him. And as the ball's coming to him, he kind of looked to see, and he watched it, didn't take his eyes, watched it in there, and then just threw up an alley-oop to uh, Anna Chili Killen. And that's something out of a freshman that's seven foot one. Mm-hmm. that you're probably not used to. He's got great touch. Uh, again, the only thing that, that we say is if he gets aggressive on offense and just says, Hey, I'm going to put up 20, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to dunk on these guys 10 times, or I'm going to get some putbacks 10, 10 a game. This guy is going to be an absolute weapon. And he is already, and he's playing 20 minutes a game or whatever because of some fouls and also he's a freshman and they don't want to burn him out. Yeah. Another so, thing that I'll bring up too is uh Jacob Connor. Not every time when he comes in does he take over a game on offense. He doesn't shoot a lot. Some games he does. But if you look at his plus minus when he comes on the court, we seem to go on big runs. And a lot of it is because he's six foot nine and plays guard in a lot of this. He is comfortable bringing the ball up court, but he's comfortable as a shooting guard or a small forward wing type guy. But on defense, he's not down low because we've got Obina, who's more of a a power forward, and Hanlockton's a true five. So he's up on the wing playing guys sometimes that are six foot two. And he's he's getting his arms in those passing lanes, getting a lot of steals. We get a lot of fast breaks we tend to go on runs when he's in the game, whether he's scoring a lot or not. And it's just great to see these weapons that we have. Yeah. So many of them are starting to uh, find their way in this. Some already have, but Mm -hmm. more of them are starting to fit into what we're doing. So we're seeing more and more complimentary basketball and more and more guys are just hitting more and more shots. And it's really, I mean, I'm, just saying it's fun to watch is it just doesn't do it justice. This is a really, really entertaining team to the point that 
there should be no tickets to games, right? I mean, 12 and two, what more do you want? I mean, yeah. this team is really, really good. Uh, let's talk about real quick a couple of data points from last night's game, and then we'll do the season thing we just did, season leaders real quick. Okay. Four of five starters hit double digits last night, and Han Lockton was the own was the lone one that didn't, and he had nine. Nine. Jacob Connor also had ten, so you have five scores in double digits and a sixth with nine. Uh, the uh, Kerfman and Taylor led the way with 15 apiece. <coughs> Kenzie had 14, but he spent seven minutes or so of game time on the bench. And then uh, Obina chips in with 11 and seven boards. These guys went on a, a run late. They took over the game late, and they just ran away from App State and proved that they were the far superior team in a ugly called officiated game. Let's just call it what it is. But anyway, you want to look at it. It sets up a really big showdown tomorrow at 2 o'clock. With James Madison, who is 10 and 4 on the season, heard 12 and 2. This is going to be one of those games. This is one of those measuring stick games, much like with the ladies, is if you can beat James Madison. Granted, you have the home field advantage, home court advantage, and it better be packed. It better be packed uh, because this is a coin flip game, according to ESPN. You know, they're giving a lot of respect to James Madison. So we'll see how that one plays out. Let's talk about real quick before we close it out. I'll do um, the. Uh, Season leaders at this point. Okay. Tavion Kinsey leading the way 20.6 points per game. Han Lockton leading in rebounds with over 10, almost 11 per game. Assists is uh, Kinsey again, five and a half per game. Andy Taylor's leading with steals and Han Lockton with blocks at two and a half. Taylor's got two steals uh, per averaging two steals per game. Kinsey and Taylor are like neck and neck. Kinsey's yeah. 20.6 points per game. Taylor's right there with 19.2. Kerfman is also over double digits, almost 12 points per game. And Obana's at nine. And remember earlier in the year, we were like, we don't know how Obana's going to fit in. It's not, he's struggling right now. Well, that's gone away. Yeah. He's hit his groove. He's you know? aggressive on the boards now for putback dunks. Uh, you know, he's, he, he seems to find exactly where he is in this new offense. Yep. And it's it's that's the compliment that you needed. It's affording the luxury of Han Lockton to not have to be overly aggressive like we keep hoping we see. We don't have to see it. You know, Oban is that guy. Oban is that 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 bully, for lack of a better term. Uh Micah can make those hustle plays and all those shooters can just shoot. Everybody's playing complimentary basketball. It is really, really awesome. I don't know. You know, when the last time we saw a herd team have this, they look like they're having fun. They just look they like they're having fun. Yeah. So uh, you got any other notes here? If not, then yeah, let's begin just, to wrap this one up. On the team, uh, they are averaging 83.3 points a game. Now, I know that we've had some cupcakes in there, mm -hmm. but we've also played some MAC teams, some, um, I mean, we're, our margin of scoring, I mean, we've, in the Sun Belt last night, it's not like App State was predicted to be number one overall or anything. We beat them by 26, and we probably could have beat them by a lot more. Mm -hmm. If if we don't get called 18 fouls to their nine, we could have beaten them by a lot more. We're running some people out of the gym. Uh, of note right now, field goal percentage, 47.1%, 33.2 on 3%. Uh, we had talked about uh, Mr. Kerfman of being a career right at 40 percenter and sometimes i think it may be a little bit tough because he's new to the program for some fans just on some of the chatter that i've seen of man he's got to stop jacking up those threes because maybe he starts 0 for 4 
but if you hit your next two, you know, mm-hmm. and you're two for six, and then you hit three of your next four, and you're five for ten, you're like, wow, he just had fifty <laughs> percent, you know, well over what you're expecting him to do. Yeah. So if you miss six threes and then you hit four in a row and you're hitting twelve points and doing what you're supposed to be doing, he also showed last night he's got a really good. uh mid-range game yep sure does he he just has not that that's not his role he right. takes it when it's there last night because of foul trouble and he needed to be the scorer and and things like that and they were not playing him he hit some runners he hit uh some other stuff the guy can shoot one of the other things that i want to say about him is he hustles just about anybody on this team is hustling right now uh always have but he is non-stop always running he doesn't seem to be the best defender he doesn't seem to be the fastest but he's trying and he creates a lot of turnovers because of that effort that he puts in he's not as fast as say Kinsey he doesn't have the long arms of Kinsey but he's doing everything on D that you would expect him to do for someone that we've had people here before that are three-point specialists and they're an absolute liability on defense. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a spot up shooter. That's not his game, man. He's he's got more to it right now. That's just he's deadly from three, and that's what we're doing. So I could go on and on. I love basketball, as you know. Uh, I've watched every game, uh, but our length of wingspan of height of all that stuff we are just a mismatch nightmare for just about anybody mm-hmm. and when we bring in a six foot nine guard in connor and a six foot ten swing man in uh fricks and theoretically you could let kenzie run the point because he's done that before you're looking at six five and kenzie six nine guard in connor uh six ten fricks on the other wing six eight uh, power forward uh, in Anna Chile Killen and hand logged it at seven one. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's NBA height. Mm-hmm. And we're running an NBA offense. Yep. And it's working it's and they're, working. and they're good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just really cool, man. It's, it's really cool. They're the herd could, you know, if they keep it up, if everybody stays healthy or even if they have to weather a little bit of a storm with mm-hmm. an injury or a ding up, they've got some depth to weather that. Yeah. You're looking at a tournament team. You really are. They they're not I don't think they're as good now as that they what they're going to be in Oh yeah, February, agree. Agree. You know. So what we see now is only going to hopefully be better. Um just get along for the ride. Get your butts out there to the games, man. Tickets are available. They're making deals on tickets to get you out there and of course we give them away to every home game. James Madison just closed this out is a good team. Looks like their uh, best player did not play last night and is questionable for uh, this game coming up. It's a, an illness, maybe a stomach bug. So he's a game time decision. We'll probably know tomorrow morning if he's going to play or not. It may not be until tip that we know if he's going to play. Um, whatever it is, we'll take it, right? If he doesn't get to play, <laughs> sorry. Them's the breaks. So it, yeah. <laughs> uh, Southern Miss is also looking really good. Old Dominion is also looking good. So we make up those four new Sunbelt teams of those that I just mentioned. The Southern Miss game has already been uh, picked up to go on ESPN2 at 8 p.m. Yep. on January the 12th. So it won't be just on ESPN+. Plus. That should be, uh, as of right now, the two most impressive teams it's looking like in the Sunbelt as far as top to bottom. And I think ESPN recognized that 
after watching the games last night saying, okay, they're both legit. This wasn't just cupcake schedules. Let's go ahead and pick that game up. Yeah. So this next stretch is going to be very telling on not only where we can finish, but also give us uh, maybe some uh, uh, leg up if we can run the table on these or seeding in the uh, conference tournament. Yep. Lots of lots of great info, and we're off and running for the Sun Belt Conference slate. So let's um, let's close this one out on a positive note. Take us out of here. All right. So whether you see us at the Joan, whether you see us at the Dot, or whether you see us at the new cam with Bruce Morris's footprints back on the floor, no matter where you see us, we're going to be saying, go herd. Go herd. It's the Thundercast. We'll see you next week. Later.